Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of SFF Yeah is sponsored in part by our friends at Extraneous, the podcast that goes deep on the stories you love and comes back with a little something extra. You can tune in every Monday and Thursday for recaps and good nerdy times of things like, for example, right now Leah and Takia are rewatching all of Supernatural and giving you their breakdown and are doing recaps of Supernatural's final season on Mondays. And then hosts Melissa and Will are doing a His Dark Materials reread in comparison to the new His Dark Materials show on HBO, and those air on Thursdays. You can follow along at ExtraneousPod on Twitter and Extraneous.pod on Instagram and Facebook and visit Mischief Media, that's MischiefMedia.com for more. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 67, and we're recording on November 15th. I'm Jen Northington, I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot, and today is our big holiday book recommendations show. Hooray! Hooray! I'm 100% sure that after this episode, I'm going to have nonstop holiday songs in my head because it's already <laughs> happening right this very minute <laughs> oh no i have actually dodged that bullet so far and i wasn't even thinking about it but now i'm like oh, oh i'm wait, sorry when when will it happen probably soon well everything is all decked out like as soon as halloween ended it was like yeah christmas is here everybody christmas is here don't forget it <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget? But when you inject some science fiction and fantasy into the holidays, it's always a little bit better. So I agree. So we will be talking about our holiday wrecks all episode. But before we get into that, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Tor Books, bringing us Fate of the Fallen by Kel Cade. So, what do you think happens when? You're out of princes and angels and heroes to save the world. You get the B team. So when the unthinkable happens, the supposed chosen one's best friend, Aslo, forms a crew to take on the job everyone else has given up on. Defy the gods, save the world, probably just die trying. <laughs> it's too bad his crew is made up of a mage school dropout, the world's worst horse, some petty thieves, and a prophet who refuses to tell the future. So you can start a brand new series with New York Times bestselling author Kel Cade's Fate of the Fallen. This sounds really, really funny, and I think I actually have this book on my shelf, so I'm going to have to check it out. But it basically posits this idea of what if Frodo got beheaded at the beginning of The Lord of the Rings, and Samwise had to take the ring to Mordor which is a book I never knew I needed, but now I definitely need to hear that story or read that story. And it subverts the, the chosen one narrative, as you might have guessed from that description. 
So very exciting. This sounds like a fun new series. I can't wait to get into it. It's Fate of the Fallen by Kel Cade. Thank you to Tor Books for sponsoring today's episode. Gotta love a B team. I love a B team. I love yeah. like the offbeats in any sort of story. The underdogs. Mm -hmm. It's so good. So good. I didn't have any of those stories today, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, me neither. Um, so let's see. We got two questions from listeners. Thank you so much for sending those in about what to gift this holiday season. So let's see. I'll read the first question. Okay. Which is from Maria, who says, My cousin recently came out as asexual, and I'd like to give her a book with a character that she can identify with. She gets really excited when a character's asexuality is not the main thing about them, but is still important, basically Raphael from the Mortal Instruments series. And she has loved fantasy and YA books. If you could find me something to give to her, I'd be incredibly grateful. Okay, so I did a lot of research on this question because mm -hmm. I wanted very much to get it right. And also, here's the thing I discovered. It's really hard to find POV characters who are ace in sci-fi fantasy. Ooh. I found lots of secondary characters, but there seems to be not that many options if you want them to be a POV or main character. So that was just an interesting observation. Um the book I'm picking, I have actually, I'm 90% of the way through, according to Libby, and I don't usually wreck books that I haven't finished, but this one was so highly recommended on the internet, and I am really enjoying it, so I am picking it regardless. It is mm -hmm. The King's Peace by Joe Walton, and it does come with trigger warnings for rape and unwanted pregnancy, which it sounds pretty heavy and is not light, but the book is... Uh, more than that, I will tell you. So it's about a young woman named Sulian who is in a sort of like alternate version of British history, and it's very Arthurian inspired. And she is 17 when raiders come and attack her town. And she's actually like a warrior. She's well trained, but she's caught off guard and without her weapons. And so um, at the beginning of the book, she is assaulted by these raiders. And they leave her to die, but she doesn't die. And she, it's acknowledged at that point in the story that she is already ace when this happens. But obviously this is like, you know, she's like, I'm never touching anyone again, basically, mm -hmm. which you cannot blame her. But like, it's not, it's a separate, they're two separate issues is what I'm trying to say. So the one doesn't depend on the other, um, but certainly is exacerbated by. And then she, her story takes off from there. She goes to, you know, the main citadel and gets drafted into this new king's army. His name is Erdo, and he's struggling to bind together the realm against these raiders. And it's like very Arthurian. He's, you know, like had a, you know, childhood in obscurity and then came forward and revealed his identity. And you see it all from her perspective. So you're getting just sort of like this really slow burn historical fantasy about what it takes to make these kinds of alliances and win these kinds of battles and all of the personalities and the conflicts and the drama, but you're seeing them from a soldier's viewpoint. And Sulian is a great soldier. She advances in the ranks, she gets her own command, but she's very practical and she's not really into the politicking and she's not really participating in it. So instead of one of those more like Game of Thronesy, like you see all the political wheelings and dealings, you're getting it from a fighter's perspective, which I think is really interesting 
and definitely um, I think a lot of people will enjoy. And like I said, it is a slow burn. It's a long book and it's like a very like slow paced story because it really is about this character and her personal relationships and, you know, where they take her and how she is peripheral to but important to this overarching journey and plotline in the story. And I just, it's kind of like, it's been my bedtime book. It feels like a fairy tale mm. in that way. So I really appreciate that. And like I said, it's got tons of rave reviews online. When you look for like asexual, asexual characters in sci-fi fantasy, these books are always on the list. It is the first in a series. Um, so if she likes it, there's more. And yeah, it's, it, it, it starts out rough, but you know, it's just, it is, it's really sort of a beautiful, unfolding of a of a of a story like this so again that's the king's piece by joe walton that sounds wonderful yeah i am going back to an old favorite for this one and it's every heart a doorway by shannon mcguire and on one hand i feel kind of bad bringing this series up for the bojillionth time but on the <laughs> other hand i absolutely don't because it's really the perfect fit to the point where one of our, our contributors on Book Riot wrote about having happy tears over the fact that the lead character in the first book of the series is asexual. And uh, we'll leave a link to that piece in, in the show notes. But I couldn't not mention this book. And Nancy, the main character, is asexual and it's mentioned like outright at the, I think it was at the beginning or toward the beginning of the book, but it isn't part of the plot. It's just who she is. Uh, there's no Nancy being uncomfortable or having to go into a deep explanation about who she is. She just is. And then it's off on this really gruesome and great adventure. So as for the plot, this is the book that will forever hold a soft spot in my heart, I think, because it introduced me to this gaggle of teens who found portals to various worlds and then found each other at a home for wayward children. Uh, the kids are, are sort of lost in that they feel they don't belong in reality anymore, and they never really did fit in in the first place. They're all outcasts, so I guess I do have a sort of band of outcast stories after all. So mm -hmm. in the first book, there's this string of murders. And while Nancy's trying to cope with the loss of her home in a place that's sort of like the underworld, when I read the description of the place, this, this place uh, Nancy went through a portal to reach, it reminded me a lot of like Greek mythology and that type of underworld. It was really cool sounding. You do not really get to go into these portal worlds at all in the first book because the first book is all about these kids being outside of their place outside of their home and in this home for wayward children so nancy's trying to figure out where she fits in at this home she doesn't know anybody she doesn't feel like she has any friends she doesn't even really know how to make friends because her her life in this underworld home was very very unusual and she has some strange skills that come with having been in the underworld and she doesn't really know how to get along with people and she doesn't know where they came from and they're all a little bit unusual in different ways so 
she does end up being lumped together with this group of kids who are very welcoming to her for the most part. And she and her new companions have to figure out what is causing the deaths that are happening at this home before this mysterious serial killer gets to them. And Nancy does end up making another appearance in the third book of the series, which is Beneath the Sugar Sky. But that book doesn't really center on her. But she is like very much a part of this band of kids and very much a part of this series, which I thought was fantastic. And I think if your friend gets into this book, there are, I think that your friend is probably going to enjoy this entire series the way I did. And the series itself somehow manages to be somewhat gruesome, especially the first and second books. But it's also really comforting because everybody's so friendly. They're so darn friendly. And the series itself is just really addicting. It checks off a lot of wheelhouse boxes for me. And I think for a lot of readers as well, like the portals to other worlds, inclusivity, a boarding school style setting, which I love. And weird kids, of course. So I, I think your friend is going to dig it. Again, that was Every Heart a Doorway by Sean and McGuire. And that is the first book in the Wayward Children series. Nice, nice. Yes, I love it so much. I will stop talking about it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody the next question we have, which comes from Kat. And Kat says, I'd love a recommendation for an SFF book for my wife who doesn't read much SFF, but I read a ton of it, and I want to find some she can enjoy too. She's enjoyed Harry Potter, the Nevermore Wondersmith series, In Other Lands, and In Every Heart a Doorway. Definitely <laughs> noticing a portal fantasy theme here. I've been trying to get her to read his dark materials, but she consumes most books via audio while on morning runs and says she has to pay too close attention to details in the story, so she hasn't gotten into it yet. When she chooses books not recommended by me, she often reads nonfiction political books and the occasional Stephen King. I'd love anything you can recommend for her. Do you want to start talking, Jen? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so I picked Signal to Noise by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And the reason I picked it is because it is not a portal fantasy. But the other thing I was noticing about um, your wife's preferred picks are that, you know, In Other Lands and In Every Heart a Doorway are kind of snarky. And I was thinking about snarky books that aren't too weighty in details and that move along quickly. And Signal to Noise is definitely a good fit for that. It is a contemporary sort of, you know, we've been describing it as the craft in Mexico City, which I think is <laughs> relatively accurate. Um, it takes place in two timelines in Mexico City in 1988 and then 20 years later. And the main character, Meche, is a very sort of snarky, prickly main character. Um, when she is 15 in 1988, she and her two best friends, uh, Sebastian and Daniela, who are all sort of outcasts at school and have banded together, you know, via that uh, commonality. They are, you know, very into music and um, Meche has uh, vinyl records that she loves to listen to. And they discover sort of by accident that they can do music or they can do magic 
with music when, you know, playing these vinyl records. And so if you were 15 and you discovered you could do magic, like probably you would use it in unwise ways, which they do. And then have to deal with the consequences. But you don't know exactly what went wrong. All you know is that something went very wrong. Because 20 years later, in these alternating narratives, Meche is returning for her father's funeral. And it's clear that she has not spoken to Sebastian and Daniela for a very long time. And that she left Mexico City because something happened. So it's a little bit of an unwinding of that story and like what really happened. Like how did this happen? Um, What are the consequences of that and you know seeing this person who experienced magic in the real world and like and then it's fallout um like how does that change you so i actually think that now that i'm saying out loud it's a little similar to every heart of doorway actually like how do you cope with the the real world if magic is also a part of it Mm -hmm. and so i think it's a good fit for her um so again this is signal to noise by sylvia moreno garcia Sylvia Moreno Garcia, A plus snarkage for yes, right? sure. So good. <laughs> well, I was trying to think about when I come across these questions, uh, particularly about people who don't necessarily read SFF, I always turn to my Instagram to see what my friends who do not read SFF also read that happens to be SFF that maybe they don't even realize is. So one of the books I kept seeing come up this year was Severance by Ling Ma. And this one reminds me a lot of Colson Whitehead's Zone One, which could be mm. a secondary recommendation, really. But a lot of the story takes place in the world we know by way of these flashbacks. So in the present day, Candace Chen is a newcomer in a band of survivors who haven't been overcome by this virus that's caused people worldwide to succumb to this sort of zombie state. And people are going through the motions of their day-to-day lives in this really, in this brainless, repetitive way until they wither. And before that, Candace was sort of an adrift millennial is, I guess, how I would describe her. She's really uncertain about her future, not necessarily thinking too hard on it. She goes a long time without a job and is kind of just like literally wandering around the city trying to find something to do, but mostly being bored with everything. And she lives in New York. She has this photography hobby project, but her day job is with this publisher in this sort of vanity Bible department. It's very strange, and I have never really thought about vanity bibles until i read this book uh but it it got into the process pretty in pretty interesting ways and what it what it meant for her to be in that department and seeing all the clicks in the other departments it's very like just real life office job banter so she's kind of alone in the world in a lot of ways and she's uh, a second generation immigrant when she recounts her life she often returns to memories of her parents and the challenges they face being in a new country and, you know, suffering homesickness while trying to make a new home for themselves and for their daughter. And now she finds herself saddled with a community, these survivors, and 
she still feels this disconnect. Like the leader of this group has a, has really strange ideas and rituals and immediately gave me the creeps. And because she wasn't with them from the start, there's this sense that she's still an outsider among them. She's trying to like fit in in a way, but also keeping her distance. And, you know, I, this, is, this is definitely one of those books I noticed that a lot of people who don't consider themselves sci-fi or fantasy readers picking up. And I think a lot of it is because it, it, a lot of it reads like contemporary fiction. And the speculative elements are pretty light. They are definitely there, but it is more speculative. And I just really love the story. It was really relatable, I think especially if you're a 20-something or 30-something-year-old, the story will be relatable in a lot of ways. It's not a portal story, unfortunately, either. But it definitely has some of that chilling feeling you get from some Stephen King novels, um, though the horror element is a lot more spare, even though it is a zombie book. And I generally think any world overcome by a zombie virus is pretty horrifying. And it does get, it does ramp up more and more as you get to the end. So, and I will also note that I listened to Severance on audio and the narration is really solid. I thought it was really good. I do chores and take walks when I'm audiobooking, And I never felt like I lost track of the story, even when my attention wasn't all the way there. There aren't a lot of like details or characters to keep track of. It's more character driven and kind of cerebral than that. So yeah, I got a lot of attention, super buzzy. Again, that was Severance by Lingma. Yeah, also super snarky, like so bitingly dry. Love that one. Yes. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, that wraps up our question portion. Thank you to everyone, to all two of you, <laughs> to send <laughs> in a question. Um, super excited to do those recommendations. We have some general picks for holiday gift giving this year. But before we do that, we're going to do our next sponsor which is Supernova by Marissa Meyer. This is the third book in the Renegades trilogy. And she is the author, as you probably know, of the best-selling and very popular Lunar Chronicles and the standalone novel Heartless. And if you haven't read the first two books in the trilogy, which are Renegades and Arch Enemies, now is the perfect time to marathon read the whole series. Uh, this series has it all. There's action and romance and betrayal. Um, the main characters, Nova and Adrian, are their greatest fears are about to come to life, as happens often in science fiction and fantasy. And unless they can bridge the divide between heroes and villains, they stand to lose everything, including each other. So this epic conclusion will leave readers on edge until the final shocking secrets are revealed. Oh my goodness, shocking (laughs) secrets. That sounds very exciting. And uh, yeah, people have been calling this like a young adult X-Men comp, which is definitely in my wheelhouse. And I've been hearing great things about this trilogy. So if you have been waiting because you don't like to wait in between books. Now is your chance to get all of them or just to finish the series if you've been reading along. Again, that is Supernova by Marissa Meyer, and that is with Fierce Reads. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, so we each picked, I think, five books that we believe will make good gifting this holiday season. Sharifa, do you want to tell us about your first pick, which I will co-sign in advance? 
Yes, I absolutely do. And I'm so glad we're doing this because it gives me a chance to talk about this book and I have not had a chance all year. Uh, this pick was my big, fun, unputdownable novel of 2019 and I didn't even have the chance to talk about it. It's Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. And if you follow Liberty anywhere, there's a 100% chance you have heard of this book. And if you're looking for a gift for someone who likes really fierce, irreverent, hilarious characters and doesn't mind, like, super gothery and gore, you should definitely pick up a coffee to gift for the holidays. And then an extra one for yourself, of course. So... This is a story of a far-off future in far-off space where a lesbian warrior who degaff about everything except getting away from the home she did not choose, the ninth, the ninth house, and a cold-hearted necromancer who is the only descendant of that house, set to rule it and everyone in it, they're both pitted against each other and against other houses on other planets later on, but Gideon and Harrow are kind of surrounded by bones and death and people who are half dead and look it like the descriptions were so ghastly and so delightful. I couldn't, I couldn't put it down the minute the descriptions started rolling in and the minute Gideon's thoughts started rolling in as well. So Gideon's basically wasting her time with dirty magazines and with training. And Harrow is busying herself plotting in secret when this summons arrives for the necromancer of the house to undergo a trial. And this trial is necessary, vaguely, for the preservation of all the houses. And what ends up following is this bonkers blend of whodunit, necromancy, sword fights between the cavaliers protecting the necromancers, and getting to know you moments with Gideon and Harrow who have dark paths that intersect and who do the opposite of getting along all day, every day, even though they've been thrown together. So. I had some IRL laugh out loud moments throughout this book, and I also died a little inside when I got to the end of it. And then I immediately requested the second book in the series, which is out next year. So you don't have a ton of time to wait, which I was surprised by because, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty healthy sized books. So, um, but you know, it's already coming out and I'm really excited about it. I have absolutely no regrets about reading it before the next book was out. But I I just love this book so much. I ended up listening to it on audiobook as well as reading it, which is something I do not generally do. And the audiobook was so good if you have a friend who who loves audiobooks. It was so good. I was almost tempted to wait until the second book came out properly so I could listen to it on audiobook. Um, but that's probably not going to happen because I don't have that sort of patience. So this is kind of all almost like a, a whodunit in a way, which was really interesting and unexpected for me. So also, if you have friends who really like mystery books, but maybe also want to read some science fiction fantasy. This book has both elements as well. It was just the most wicked, devious, corpse-forward, fun read I have enjoyed <laughs> in a really long time. And I just want everybody to read it. So definitely give yourself and everyone else the gift of Gideon this holiday season. And again, that was Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Corpse Forward is maybe the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish there was more opportunity 
to use that, but I can't. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I cannot, but I'm into it. I'm here for it. I actually, I, I have, I have barely had the time. I don't know that I've reread more than one book this year. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And Gideon the Ninth was that book. I oh, it. yay! That's I did. I just, I enjoyed it so much. Um. So, okay. So I was glad that you picked that because I <laughs> didn't have room in my top five for it, even though I really wanted to. So this is why there's two of us. Yes. Um, so my first pick for the funny witty rompy slash also horror slash also queer fantasy fans out there is the affair of the mysterious letter by alexis hall which is also for all y'all sherlock fans because it is a like i said funny rompy witty queer horror fantasy retelling of sherlock holmes which is a thing i did not know i needed until I picked up this book. <laughs> it's amazing. The main character, uh, Captain John Wyndham, who is our Watson stand-in, uh, is uh, returning from uh, fighting in a war. He's a veteran, and he needs to find lodgings. And so he ends up at 221B Martyr's Walk. And his new housemate, Shahrazad Haas, um, who is like a brown woman who is a, like, pansexual sorceress of the dark arts is very strange to him because he's like kind of a stuffed shirt like he's very uptight and very prissy and kind of amazing i love him so much forever and you can imagine this is like oil and water like because she Sharzad Haas, who is our homes stand in is like very free thinking free wheeling doesn't play the by the rules does whatever she wants you know, just had like is doing drugs and sleeping around. And he's just like, oh, my goodness, I saw somebody's ankle. Like, it's really amazing. <laughs> he also happens to be trans, which is a wonderful piece of representation. Um, so they get hired to solve a case of blackmail uh, against one of uh, Shahrazad's former lovers. And this leads them into a twisty, turny, you know, conspiracy filled adventure that includes like punching a shark and like mad gods and alternate universes and vampires and all kinds of madness it is so much fun it's so much fun it's just so 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 <laughs> much fun like can i emphasize how much fun it is it's it's just incredibly enjoyable so if you know somebody who is like into that kind of thing and it's it is written from like in a very um sort of formal tone so like you know Wyndham who's our narrator as well as being like a stuffed shirt talks kind of like you'd imagine and he's constantly editorializing he's like and I won't tell you the bad words that she said now like, <laughs> I dare not comment upon her attire like it's amazing it's so it's so mannered it's like a comedy of manners plus horror plus fantasy I, I just don't even, I, it's so many things. It's so many things all at once. And it's really delightful. So again, that is The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall. I love the sound of it. It's so good. Probably be laughing. Okay, well, I also have a story featuring a trans character, which is fantastic. And this is another book I really loved and didn't really get a chance to talk about that much. And I think it's a great one for advanced middle grade readers up to adults. So if you know any kids, any young readers, fantastic one for that. Um, so this is Pet by Akua Ehiemezi. 
And this is a story featuring a trans character, and this is one where they're being trans is in a plot point, and nobody harms the character. And also, if you're looking for books with characters who have selective mutism, this is a great one. And it's a story about Jam, who's this young girl living in an almost utopian town. But the town has this history. It has a history of angels and monsters at war. And just like Jam, you don't really know what exactly happened and how this town became so peaceful and utopian and how everybody just gets along. Uh, but the peace they enjoy was hard won. And there's sort of some vague mentions of that. And Jam is this really good-hearted kid with loving parents. Her mom's an artist, and she enjoys watching her process as she works. And they have this whole dynamic that's really cute, um, where Jam's kind of hiding while she's watching her mom work. It's really adorable. But then one day, uh, Curiosity ends up taking Jam too far, and also too close to this really, really unusual painting her mom is working on. And then what happens is that Jam ends up with this creature like nothing she's seen before. And the creature's really creepy and alien. Like, I could almost imagine myself having nightmares as a kid about this creature. But it's not an evil, vicious creature. It has some other intentions. And it sort of becomes clear that Pet has this mission in Jam's world that requires her help but isn't actually about her. So it's about protecting the town and the people in it. And Pet ends up recruiting Jam and her best friend to sort of sleuth out the town's history to figure out who were the angels and who vanquished the monsters, how did they do it, and also what happens when nobody, not even the adults who are supposed to be there to protect you, acknowledge the existence of monsters and nobody's telling jam exactly what happened in the history books are kind of difficult to to decode to actually figure out who the angels were and who the monsters were and what a monster actually is so this is all done in order to find what pet um, jam's new companion is hunting down and the book is really heartwarming and comforting with lots of depictions of loving families, inclusivity that's simply part of the fabric of the town and the life um, these people are living. And some aspects of trans life are also included, you know, such as the use of hormones, but it's all accessible for young readers, which was something, you know, I noted in my head as I was reading it. And it also confronts some really tough topics. and. I do note that there is child abuse in this book and that pedophilia is also another aspect of the story. They're alluded to rather than made explicit, but they are present. So just letting you know that. And again, that was pet by one of my faves, Akweki Amezi. One of these days I'm going to catch up to their writing. It's so hard I have so to many catch books up. now to catch up with. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, let's see. So my next pick is for all of the myth retelling fans in your life, and also people who are looking for more Central American stories. It's Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno Garcia, who I know I talked about already on this episode, and I wouldn't <laughs> usually double dip, but I just have to in this case. It's not my fault. The books are just so good. Um, and this one comes with a trigger warning for self-harm, uh, and... I, but otherwise, um, oh, and actually family violence. Um, it is about a young woman named Cassiopeia Tun who is living in Mexico during the Jazz Age. And she and her mother are sort of the poor relations in her wealthy grandfather's house. And he's terrible. He's always yelling at her and, you know, making her feel small. Her cousin also goes out of his way to try to, like, dominate her. And she is not having it. She is always pushing back, which then makes things harder. But she has a really strong will. And she dreams obviously of a life much different than the one that she has but her mother is just kind of like not in smile make it work like this is what we have to do to survive uh and you know she Cassiopeia is really not resigned to this and one day she is you know feeling particularly out of sorts and opens a chest in her grandfather's room that's been at the foot of his bed for just ever and there it turns out whoops was the spirit of a mayan god of death imprisoned in it and she he like sort of compels her to go on this quest to help him recover his throne from his treacherous brother and it is her chance to get out but also she he honestly doesn't give her much of a choice so away they go and it is such an amazing setup i loved the jazz age setting it was so interesting to see how like the politics and technology and culture of that time influenced the story and then the mayan um you know references were amazing and so rich and so uh you know it makes the world building so wonderful and she's just such a great main character and i loved to see this sort of cinderella-esque story just completely turned on its head like inside out and backwards like mm -hmm. the things that moreno garcia does with this very familiar trope are just fantastic i loved it and yeah i think this is you know a book that you know if you have historical fantasy fans in your life again mythology retellings with a modern twist or if you are just also a fan of moreno garcia's work like this is a not to be missed and it will make a great gift so again that's gods of jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Okay, well, my next sci-fi pick is one I'd had on my TBR and just got around to reading recently, and I'm so glad I did. It's The Dreamers by Kieran Thompson Walker. And this one is set in a quiet college town in California where this strange epidemic begins. And people in the town are falling asleep and they're not waking up. It's sort of like this wasting disease and this phenomenon that causes a lot of panic and also quarantine. And the event is, it ends up being recounted through the experiences of multiple people in the town. And it's recounted by this omniscient narrator in an almost clinical way. And that sounds weird, but it works really well for the story. So you end up following the experiences of, uh, of a quiet college student who has this kind of othering experience among her peers and doesn't know how to talk to them. 
And then there's also this young girl who's the eldest daughter of this, this doomsday dude who's been prepping for the end times basically all her life. So she's led a very strange, she's had a very strange childhood along with her, her younger sister. And then there's also a couple who are new parents. There's this doctor in town to study this epidemic. And you also get a host of other smaller stories of the numerous people affected. So you almost feel like you're sweeping over this town along with this epidemic. And I just felt like it was a lot like an episode of The Twilight Zone in the best of ways. I just devoured it. And I think it's a really great read, maybe because of the Twilight Zone feelings. I think it's a great read for the holidays. Um, so if if somebody opens their present and this is in it, I highly recommend just reading it right away. And this is <laughs> this is one of those books that will definitely put you in a in a, like pondering mode, I guess, especially if you're really fascinated by the myriad horrifying things the brain is capable of doing. And you're never really sure how much of it is the brain and the dreaming mind and how much of it is some sort of mysterious parasite. And where did it come from? And why is it happening to this town? So this was a sort of speculative fiction that really gets to me because it doesn't come across as so totally unlikely. It almost sounds like something you might come across in the headlines, like quiet college town quarantined by sleeping sickness or something. Maybe I'm paranoid like that, but I can imagine it. (laughs) (laughs) But all of the characters in the book felt really real and fully realized. The ways they dealt with the epidemic were as varied as you might expect and had a lot to do with what they'd already endured in their lives, what they're going through. And I just think this is another great pick for SFF newcomers, for Twilight Zone fans, for anybody looking for a page turner, really. So again, that was The Dreamers by Karen Thompson Walker. Nice. So my next sci-fi pick is also along the funny and then fast-paced and action-y line. It is Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. And this was just also just so much fun, y'all. Just so much fun. It is a heist in space against the mafia plus like a very foul-mouthed cranky captain and her crew there is an amazing human alien love story that i will maybe never get over quite frankly (laughs) and like a lot of good like sibling feelings there's so much going on in this book it's fantastic the main character is captain eva innocente And her ship is called La Serena Negra. And they, like, cruise around basically delivering cargo. They do cargo delivery. And most of their jobs are on the up and up. Uh, But she is not, you know, a perfect person and has some dark things in her past, but is trying to, like, you know, do the right thing now. And then she finds out that her sister Mari has been kidnapped by the Fridge, which is this, like, mob syndicate and she is being the ransom that they want is that Eva has to work for them and do all of these like terrible unpleasant dangerous missions and she is afraid to tell her crew or to put them in danger so she's trying to like keep it from them and just do these 
side missions herself while they do their legit jobs. But of course, that doesn't work out. Also, there's a bunch of psychic kittens, which is amazing. (laughs) And she has an unfortunate encounter in a bar with an alien who tries to pick her up and she very roundly rejects him. And then he turns out to be basically a psychopath emperor and is chasing her around the galaxy, causing violence and mayhem in the wake, trying to like basically kidnap her. So that's not good. There's a lot going on, and it's just completely like hijinks with a lot of Cuban cursing and and like amazing found family in space plus actual sibling family. Oh, it's 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 good. It's just really really fun and so enjoyable. And it's the first in a new series that I'm really excited about. It's also a debut, which I'm always impressed by. And yeah, if you know somebody who just like. Loves space opera, loves Douglas Adams, for example, wants to just escape into something that's really quick and enjoyable and sucks you right in. This is absolutely that book. Um, Again, that's Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. Which I just downloaded on audiobook yesterday. I'm very excited. Yes! (laughs) All right. Well, I've got one for fans of fairy tales and weird whimsy. And it's Gingerbread by Helen Oyeyemi, my fave. This was one of my, I think this was one of my anticipated books for the year. Yeah, I'm sure of it. I'll admit it is not maybe for everybody because it is super weird. But it's definitely for Oyeyemi fans and for people who enjoy, you know, a healthy dose of weird in terms of storytelling structure and also surreal stories and really weird family dynamics. Basically, everything's unusual. And the story ends up, it centers on a mother and daughter, Harriet and Perdita, and the pair make this really off-kilter family. They don't fit in anywhere. They live in this kind of hip, chic London community of school kids and parents, and they're surrounded by, you know, just imagine people who are in really fancy SUVs and who have lots of time to do things like PTA and all that stuff. So it's like that. Harriet does not fit in whatsoever, and she makes an embarrassment of herself on the regular. It's very, it's very endearing. She tries very hard to fit in. But then there's more strangeness to them than just being a little offbeat. There are things like, for instance, the dolls that Perdita keeps who have plants for arms and who also maybe talk and pass judgment and criticize Harriet. And then there's this terrible incident that happens because Perdita's curious about her mother's past and Harriet ends up being forced to pull the skeletons out of the closet and basically has to tell the story of her life and of growing up and about this gingerbread that's been passed down through their family and has weird effects on different people. Some people love it. Some people hate it. And also there's this childhood friend of Harriet's named Gretel. So Perdita learns all about the development of Harriet, of Harriet and Gretel's relationship and the significance of this gingerbread and how Harriet ended up in London, in this town, coming from this really weird, fantastical sort of fairy tale, but in a an urban, industrialized way, landscape. It's so strange. It's so strange. You just have to read it. It's very Oyeyemi. 
Um, and it's eerie and very whimsical. It has a bit of, I think I've described this before as a bit of Wes Anderson and a bit of Where Do You Go Bernadette and very much Oyayemi. It's delightful. Again, that was Gingerbread by Helen Oyayemi. Nice. Um, my fourth pick is for all of the complicated slash morally compromised main character fans out there. Uh, I know we talk a lot about loving sort of a main antagonist on this show. And like, if that is you, then this book <laughs> is, or if that's somebody you know, this book is for you. It is Queen of the Conquered by Case and Calendar. And that's conquered, like, as in a race that has been conquered, not conquered like the grape, just for spelling <laughs> reasons. Um, so, and uh, speaking of conquering, this book does come with trigger warnings for violence related to slavery, including sexual assault, because it is a sort of uh, second world fantasy inspired by Calendar's own childhood. I'm growing up in the Virgin Islands, which have a history of colonization by both Denmark and the U.S., and so in this book, the uh, young woman, uh, Sigourney Rose, is the main character, and she is the only surviving daughter of a family in these islands. And when she was a child, um, her family was murdered by the island's colonizers. And, you know, she is herself a uh, of native descent, but her family had sort of risen, they had been freed, they had risen above sort of what was expected or usually allowed for a native family, and then were murdered. And she survived just completely by, you know, running away at the right time by sort of happenstance and then the help of other people on the islands. And she's been a little bit in hiding. Nobody can know exactly who she is um, because she doesn't know exactly who murdered her family. And she has grown up basically with the goal of taking vengeance, both for her family, but she believes for her people as well. And the way that she wants to do this is to become the next queen of these islands. So the current king is childless. And when she is like, oh, I want to say like 17, 18, something like that, uh, he declares that he's going to choose his successor from among the, the, you know, eligible noble families. And she was taken in by another family, a noble family, and so um, has been masquerading as a member of that family. So she schemes her way into a marriage that will allow her to go to the royal island. And like, she's determined to get picked. And an additional twist to this is that some people in this universe have powers uh, and hers is that she can read the minds of people in her presence and sometimes even not just influence their thoughts but maybe take over their minds and make them do things um, so she is using all of her powers to try to accomplish this but because she is trying to maintain power she's also complicit in the slavery of the native population and, you know, in the power structure as it stands right then and there. And she makes choices that y'all like it opens and you have so much sympathy for her. And then you see her making these choices and you're like, oh, friend, you are losing. You're just you're, you're losing my sympathy. And you think you're doing it for you're doing these things for the right reasons. And that when, you know, the end will justify the means and that when you get to the end, you'll fix everything. But like 
like, it's really rough. It's really rough. Um, it reminded me in that way of the Poppy War, for example, by R.F. Kuang mm-hmm. or um, the Force of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie C. Dow. And that you see, you know, this person make decision after decision. And you're like, oh, I cannot hang with you. But I also can't look away. Like, this is so... It's so thoughtful and it's so real, you know, the way that we participate in power structures that we know are wrong, but we are doing it for survival and also because we want to make a difference and we think this is the way to do it. So that are those are the questions that are being asked in this book. So like I think of, you know, the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin, in addition to the other two books I mentioned. So if that's the kind of fantasy that you love that like tackles these really thorny moral dilemmas and gives you characters who are definitely in the grayscale at the best, in the best cases, um, this book is for you or someone else like that that you might know. So again, that's Queen of the Conquered by Kaysen Callender. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about my last one pretty quickly. I have talked about it before, I think a couple of times, maybe. And it is The Murders of Molly Southbourne by Tade Thompson. And I bring up this book because the second book is out. These are both novellas, so they're really quick reads. Um, The second book is The Survival of Molly Southbourne, so you can be a real gem for your horror fan friend and get them two books for one. So this is another sci-fi horror. It's about protagonist Molly Southbourne, who's this farm girl living kind of a prosaic life in relative isolation. She doesn't know why she's being homeschooled, why she doesn't really have any friends. And of course, when you're a teen, you're not you're not okay with that stuff, and it's time to figure out to get some answers. So she doesn't question it at first, but then strange phenomena happen when she bleeds until the nature of her existence is something she cannot ignore anymore. And then she starts to want to go outside and to see people and to see the world. So she starts to test her boundaries, and she learns some really terrible secrets about herself. And the story's told from Molly's perspective. It begins at the end, so you're kind of racing through this really short book in search of answers and trying to figure out how Molly wound up in such a mess. And it's really, it's really satisfying. Like, the pacing itself is really satisfying and really thrilling. And we've talked about Tade Thompson a few times on the show. And he's just such a spectacular writer. You really do feel like you are there when he's writing a story. There's lots of gore. There's lots of blood. So do know that the story is basically all about blood and bloodshed. And there are also (laughs) some great fight scenes and a lot of creepiness. A lot, a lot of creepiness. So if somebody on your list enjoys horror and espionage and lab science stories, you should definitely check out uh, both of those books, The Murders of Molly Southbourne and The Survival of Molly Southbourne, both of them are out by Tade Thompson. My last pick is also horror adjacent. It is a neurodiverse LGBTQ Lovecraftian sort of retelling. Uh, it takes place. Oh, I should tell you what it's called. It's called <laughs> The Outside by Ada Hoffman. And I'm so glad to finally get a chance to talk about this book on this show. I haven't had an opportunity before. Um, the main character, Yasira, is autistic and she is a scientist. And in her version of our world, the 
like when technology gets to the point where artificial intelligence is created, not only do the AIs become sentient, but they also become gods for all intents and purposes. And they regulate technology and people pray to them and become their like angels, which means they kind of become cyborgs. And they rule the universe. And humanity has very limited access to technology by design. But Yasira is basically working on a breakthrough and energy drive that could like change humanity. But when she turns it on for the first time, reality warps. The whole space station where she has been working on this is destroyed. And anybody who was there is destroyed or infected and is under quarantine. And she is abducted by the agents of one of these AI gods. And they tell her that, you know, what she has done is heresy and they could execute her for it. But if she will help them hunt down an even bigger heretic, they will spare her. And this bigger heretic was her teacher, uh, a former professor. And so she has to decide, like how i mean of course she's going to cooperate right because she wants to survive and she wants to be reunited with her family and this is the only and her girlfriend and this is the only way for it to happen but um it's what they're asking her to do goes against a lot of her beliefs and inclinations and so she starts to find out more and more about the way her world works and it's not only like messed up on this you know ai side but there are great weird beings out there who maybe she has caught their attention mm. and this could become a major problem. <laughs> so it's so cool to me to see a Lovecraft sort of premise like that reworked in this way. It's so much more inclusive, obviously, and it's a really interesting update. And I was totally gripped by the characters and by the plot. It's really fascinating. Um, it does come with trigger warnings for body horror and torture. It is Lovecraftian in that sense. It's very creepy and unsettling in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think it is. But it's it's amazing kind of new thing in science fiction that I just can't wait to see more of. And I think there's lots of folks out there who would really enjoy this book. So again, that's The Outside by Ada Hoffman. Hooray. And those are our picks for this holiday season. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and best of luck in your gifting and receiving of gifts this holidays. <laughs> um, you can email us uh, theme ideas, recommendation requests, whatnot at sffyeah at bookriot.com. If you also have a chance to review us on Apple Podcasts, we super duper appreciate it. It makes such a big difference to how people find this show um, and also helps us to know how we're doing. Sharifa, where can people find you online? They can find me at Instagram. I'm at Sina Williams, S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you? I am on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, I-R-L. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.